Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 20 of the Realtor Nation podcast. My name is Ian Hoover and I am the host of the show and I'm bringing you the Realtor Nation, the show to help you improve your business. In this episode, I will not have any guests. Uh, I am in quarantine. I am in my home office right now and I wanted to think about creative content to bring to you guys so that you can listen to it while you're working out or driving to the grocery store because that's probably all you can do right now. And I teach a class through the Realtors Association, so I thought that would be a great thing if I could roll that out to you. However, it is a three and a half hour class, so I needed to trim it down a little bit. So it's going to be a watered down version, uh, touching on the most important points. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see the slideshow presentation uh, that I go through with the class. Uh, And I'm going to try and make it as streamlined as possible for you. And I hope you enjoy this content. So hang tight while I bring bring up the slideshow presentation. Okay, so um, we're going to start with a little pop quiz. Uh, What percentage of transactions are investment oriented? Now, this is an older statistic from the Realtors Association. I believe it was a 2017 statistic. I can't find a newer one. And the answer is over 37%. Now, some markets like the local Pittsburgh market that I'm in, I really think that this percentage is actually a little bit higher uh, than that, but uh, it's still a good uh, thing to realize that if you are not working with investors and you are not working with flippers, that you are leaving money on the table as a real estate agent. So what is flipping, right? We want to talk about what is flipping. Uh, Flipping is simple. You buy a property for a price and you turn around and sell that property for a profit on the back end, or at least you hope that it's a profit on the back end. Flipping does not always include a rehab like most people think. I have flipped many properties without actually doing a full rehab, sometimes without even doing anything. So as long as you're making a profit, it's technically considered flipping, right? As seen on TV. Now, if you're listening from a California or from a Phoenix or Chicago, this might be the case. But in the smaller markets like Pittsburgh, which is where I teach this course at, uh, most people see flipping shows on TV uh, and someone buys a property, rehabs it, and then sells it for an extremely large profit on the back end. At least in our market of Pittsburgh, that's not the norm. Flipping is more of a quantity game in Pittsburgh. So you want to get as many flips done as possible. Uh, From my experience, the average flip will net you anywhere from ten to 40000 for an experienced flipper before taxes. So if you're not an experienced flipper or your client is not an experienced flipper, there's a good chance they might make less than that or even lose money on their first couple of flips, especially after taxes. Like if you make two grand on a deal and then have to pay taxes, you're basically breaking even, right? So, um, you know, that's something that you want to set that example, that expectation for your consumer that, hey, your first couple of flips, don't expect to make a ton of money here. Uh, This is something that takes time. Uh, You're learning how to deal with contractors. You're learning the business of flipping and uh, you're probably going to break even, make a little bit, or even lose a little bit your first couple times uh, doing this. But eventually you'll get better, you'll refine your systems, you'll know what you're doing, and you can improve on your business of flipping. Most people are lucky to break even, right? On their first flip, a good agent can help this. So that's where you as an agent can step in and you can say, hey, this deal on the back end is not worth what you think it's worth. And you can really help them uh, by knowing the market and being an expert in the market. You can also help them by, you know, explaining what finishes help sell a house and, and what they need to do to make that home pristine on the back end. 
And if somebody's using what we call OPM, which is other people's money, that's going to definitely affect their profit on the back end, right? So if, if they're using their own cash, you know, their profit margin is going to be a lot higher. If they're paying somebody, you know, 10 to 15% for uh, private money, then their their profit's going to be 10 to 15% lighter on the back end, right? Maybe even a little bit more depending on fees and how things shake out. Why work with flippers? So what are some of the reasons that you would want to work with a flipper? Um, consistent income. A good flipper will buy multiple properties a year or even a month. Uh, I've worked with some of the bigger flippers in Pittsburgh, and they are buying multiple properties a month. You get two transactions per transaction. So you get to essentially double dip, although that first transaction is going to be a much lower income transaction than you know the back end transaction. So you're really doing it for the back end transaction where you get to put your name on uh, you know a nice listing. So that's the next one. Nice listings you get to market an extremely nice product in the back end and hopefully get more buyer leads from that. And you get to market your brand on a quality product. Why would you not want to work for flippers? It is not for everybody. I promise you there, there's some of you listening that will not want to work with a flipper. Uh, number one, you have to show some very ugly properties. We're going to get into some more of that. It could take a bunch of showings to find one good one. The percentage, the purchase size is very minimal. So, uh, I mean, you might very well make like minimum wage on the, on the front end. You know, if you're showing a ton of properties to them and they're only locking up one out of 40, you know, then you might even lose some money when you factor in gas and time and all that stuff. If your client loses money, who are they going to blame? They're going to blame you as, as their advisor, their agent, right? So uh, there is some risk involved for sure when it comes to representing, uh, you know, real estate investors and flippers specifically. Things that you're going to deal with when you're showing distressed properties. Fleas. Yes, that's right. Fleas. I've actually uh, gone into a property that was infested by fleas. It was kind of dark in there. At one point, my client like brushed off my shoulder and said there was a bug on my shoulder. Uh, and by the time we came out, I was legit covered in fleas from head to toe. Uh, and, you know, I, I know how to deal with fleas. So I, I, you know, took off almost all of my clothes. I was standing in the middle of the street in underwear, shaking off my clothes, putting them in a bag that I keep in my trunk, taking them home, washing them, or have people like driving by honking and whistling at me. Uh, you know, it's, fleas are not fun. And they, if, if they get into your car, uh, they, they breed really fast. So you could have a flea infestation in a matter of days in your car or in your house. So you cannot take those fleas home with you. Mold. Mold is not good for you, right? Uh, although it's in the air, we breathe, it's everywhere. Uh, you're going to deal with a lot of toxic mold when you're going around to these different properties. So um, just you know, take that into consideration uh, when you're going out. If you are very, very, um, you know, if, if you're not good with mold, if you have allergies, stuff like that, uh, you know, this could have an extreme effect on you. Really bad smells. I've been in some properties that will bring you to your knees and make your eyes water as soon as you walk in the door. Um, and you probably want to go home and change your clothes and shower directly after this show. So uh, if you're not good with bad smells, then it might not be for you. Squatters. Uh, squatters is a big thing, especially uh, in, in areas where homeless rates are high. Um, lower income areas, you know, somebody gets evicted from their place, uh, they might break into a vacant unit, turn the electric on and, 
and live in the place, right? I've had a couple listings where I've, I've had to sell listings with squatters in that, right? Uh, I had one uh, that was in a little area called the Keys Rocks in Pittsburgh where I used to have to tell agents, hey, when you go in, bang the door open as loud as you can and wait a couple seconds. You'll hear the guy run through the, the property and jump out the window and then you can show the property because he didn't want to get caught like we were the police or something. Time wasting. Flippers will do anything for the leg up, right? So uh, what I mean by that is uh, they will run you ragged and go use a different agent the second they feel that there's a better deal to be had or uh, if they feel like they're going to get a competitive advantage by going directly to the listing agent. They don't care about your commission. They don't care about your time most of the time. They are looking for the absolute best possible deal. So you have to protect yourself from time wasters. Uh, some good ways to protect yourself from time wasters is take a, take a retainer. Hey, uh, I, you're a newer flipper. Um, I need to know that you're serious. So I'm going to need a $2,000 retainer. And you'll get, you know, 500 ba bucks back on the first transaction. And you'll get uh, 500 bucks back on the back end or the other 1500 back out of your commission on the back end uh, when, you know, when you prove to me that you're a good client. You know, something like that can go a long way to making sure somebody's not wasting your time. So quick tip when working with a flipper, uh, I, I used to work with one of the biggest flippers in Pittsburgh, or at least he was a relatively big flipper in Pittsburgh. And uh, I got a call one day that, you know, his, his wife got, him, got her license and that he would no longer need my services anymore. At the time, we had a couple of deals in the pipeline, and I lost that commission on that. So I always say that, uh, you know, whether it's going to hold up in court or not is a whole other story, but at least put on your buyer agency agreement when you're dealing with these flippers that they agree to give you the listing after the rehab is done. Um, you know, that move could save you thousands of dollars in commission. At least you have something in writing stating that they're going to use you on the back end. Uh, and it could also help you if they decide to try and sell it for sale by owner because the budget got tighter or something like that. You can go back to your contract and be like, hey, look, you agreed when you signed this buyer agency agreement with me that you were going to give me the listing once this property was renovated. So why should you flip as a real estate agent? Uh, the Realtor Nation podcast is about improving your career as a real estate agent. Uh, so you may want to do flip, right? Uh, it's it's going to be some good experience for you. Let's go through some of the most positive reasons to do a flip yourself. You get some extra income, right? Uh, that's good. You get to help pay the IRS. Wonderful. Education. I think you learn a lot when you do a flip. Uh, it's a, a great way to get educated on construction, rehabs, uh, dealing with contractors, all the important things that come with, uh, you know, the real estate business, and then you can become a better agent because of this. You get to learn how to deal with those contractors. Probably the most uh, crazy, annoying thing is dealing with contractors, right? Because a lot of times you can't afford to hire the good contractors. There's a lot of great contractors out in the world, but you cannot afford to use them when you're flipping a house, especially in a a lower market like Pittsburgh where your average profit is 10 to 40 grand, right? You have to be the GC and you have to hire the one truck operation guys to help you get through these projects. And therefore you're going to deal with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people who maybe don't know how to do business the right way. And you're, it's problem solving. That's what you're going to be doing. Uh, if you could just go hire the best contractors, I think everybody would flip houses because it would be a lot easier if you had somebody that had a great reputation that you could trust and does affordable work. It just, it's, 
it's really not the case. Like the best contractors I know, their kitchens start off at like 30, 40 grand, right? You can't afford to do that when the average house in Pittsburgh is a $200,000 house. You get to learn how to do a budget and that's, it's important. You know, anytime that you run a business, uh, budgeting is important and it's going to teach you how to uh, make a, a construction budget, especially if you're dealing with, you know, lenders who are doing a hold back for your budget. They're going to want to see that. And you get to put your name on more nice listings. That's uh, another key, great. More buyers and, and uh, you get to put your name on more nice listings. Why should an agent not flip? So what are the negatives to you as a real estate agent doing flips? It's time. Time's probably the number one thing. There's only so much time, uh, you know, in, in your life. And uh, when you're running a full-time real estate business and you have a family and uh, you have friends that want to hang out and, uh, you know, doing uh, anything extra can be a lot, let alone taking on a, a huge consumption of time like doing a flip. Uh, not that you're probably going to be doing the work yourself, but you're going to need to go and check up on the work and call the contractors and uh, buy the materials and all that stuff. It, it definitely takes a lot of time to do flips. Energy. I know that I am 32 going on 33 years old and the older I get, the less energy I have. So energy is a huge huge thing and again the time and energy kind of go together right there's only so much energy to go around and if you're already exhausted at the end of the day can you really add really what's another business to your business risk there's a lot of risk involved right uh, if your contractor messes up you, you can get sued uh, if you uh, you know if you sell a property and and it doesn't go well now you know that person can go on social media and blast you as a real estate agent right oh this agent uh, flipped this house and sold it to me so there's a lot of risk involved when you're doing a flip so just take that into consideration conflict of interest is probably the most important thing on this list outside of time uh, so time is important but conflict of interest is really important right so if you are working with flippers and then you do a flip yourself how do you know that that was the right way to handle it, right? So how do you know that you're not stepping on your client's toes? Because at the end of the day, flipping should be your side business, right? And your full-time business is selling homes. Now, there's some ways to combat that, right? There's ways to make sure that you're buying in other markets that your flippers aren't buying in. Like I live out in the, uh, the rural areas of Pittsburgh, right? And a lot of my clients don't go in the rural areas. So I can do some flipping in the rural areas and not step on their toes. Uh, you can also maybe even partner with uh, some of your clients if they become good clients. If you find a deal that you want to flip, and uh, you can you can partner up with them. Just make sure you're cautious about that and you protect yourself because you know a partnership is basically a marriage without the bedroom benefits. So just make sure that you know who you're getting into bed with and you know who you're partnering with. And uh, just know if that goes south, you're going to lose a client. And if you're friends with your clients, like a lot of my clients, I'm friends with. Uh, you're probably going to lose a friend too. So some more tips, be honest with your clients. So if, you know, you're interested in the property and maybe you've already put a bid in and then they contact you about it, the best thing you can do is just be honest from the front. Hey, I'm sorry, I already put an offer on this. Uh, but if I get it, how about, you know, I assign the contract over to you for a small, you know, cut or how about we partner up on the deal? Uh, something along those lines. Uh, or how about I let another agent in my office represent you so you can make sure that your offer uh, is not going to 
uh, conflict with my offer and I'm not getting a competitive advantage, you know, if, if you're going to continue to pursue that property after they say that they're interested. Uh, choose a specific area or two and stick with it. And then when you have new clients call you, you can explain to them like, hey, I do work with flippers. However, uh, I personally flip in these two areas. Uh, so if you're interested in those two areas, I might not be the right agent for you and I can refer you to somebody on my team or somebody in my office. How does that sound? If they're a good client, maybe partner with them uh, or just go ahead and, and give them the deal and make the commission on it. You know, again, if the, the average commission is 10 to 40,000, you might end up making more in commission on those two deals on the front side and the back side than they make in total profit. So um, just think about that and think about the potential buyer leads that you're going to get on the back end. Uh, it's not worth ruining a client relationship over one flip. And again, sometimes you can make more money selling that flip uh, than you can doing the flip yourself. All right, so flipping with occupants, that's a big thing that we're dealing with nowadays, at least in our market. Uh, these local banks uh, are, instead of going through the, in, the total injectment action, so uh, if you're evicting a tenant, it's different than if you're ejecting a prior owner. Uh, it's ejectment is a way longer process. So what the banks are doing now is they're throwing these properties up on auction websites like auction.com and XOME. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of other ones. Um, they're throwing them up on these websites and it's sight unseen. So you can only do a drive by, you cannot get out, you cannot peek in the windows, you can't go inside. And it's a huge risk for, uh, for dealing with that. So, uh, sometimes you have to purchase properties in situations that are typical. Some auctions are sight unseen can be very risky. Uh, getting occupants out when they've had prior ownership is much harder than a typical tenant. Uh, it's, it's a huge proceeding, and it can take months or even years to get them out of that property. Time of the year is huge. Uh, I feel that if we were able to list Country Barn, which is one of my flips in the prime season, I would have made ten dollars to $20,000 more profit. Now, again, I cut out some of this training, so I actually went through that flip as a real-life example in my class, uh, but I had three and a half hours to do the class. So, um, But we listed in um, October, late October, so we were pretty much going into the cold off-peak season, uh, and it cost us ten dollars to $20,000 uh, in profit on that deal because it sat on the market longer and it sold for less than it would have if I didn't, uh, you know, if I didn't list it then. But, you know, you, sometimes you can't control that. So I bought that property uh, in July. I had a tenant that I had to get out of that property. I couldn't even start the renovation project until August. So really I got the flip done in two months. And the alternative option would have been to hold on to that property until March uh, when then, you know, the market, should have been hotter and we might have been able to get it sold for more profit and quicker. However, uh, if I'm using what's called other people's money, I'm paying interest every month. So I probably would have actually lost more money if I waited. And then who would have known that come March, we would have been, uh, you know, shut into our houses and not been allowed to show properties. Right. So thank God I did not do that. And I sold that property when I did. Um, so the, the extra closing costs or the extra holding costs probably would outweigh the benefit of waiting to sell that property, right? So uh, sometimes you just can't affect it. You just got to know going into it that you might make a little less on that deal 
and you got to do your numbers for the fact that you might not get top of the market because you're going to be listing in October, November, December. Okay, so a refinance, um, it's, you know, the Burr strategy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's a lot of different terms for it, uh, thanks to bigger pockets in the investment community. Um, but in my opinion, what's the difference between flipping a house and putting money in your pocket right now or buying a property, renovating it, and renting it and refinancing it and putting that same amount of money in your pocket. And actually you won't pay taxes on that because that's equity in your house, right? So um, there can be a lot of benefits to a refinance flip and you get to keep that property as a long-term buy and hold. Uh, now I typically like to do this in a scenario where I feel that that property is a better rental than it is a flip. Maybe it's a duplex. Maybe it's a property that's just kind of ugly, right? Uh, those things can have factors uh, on the property it might make it a great rental property because it's a great school district, but the curb appeal is not going to get me the the back end uh, sale that I want. So it ends up being a better refinance, a better burr um, than it is anything else. And I look at my buy and hold portfolio as my 401k, my retirement, because we don't have that in real estate, right? So uh, if you're not investing in real estate, uh, it's basically like you being given the keys to a Cadillac and not driving it, right? Because we're given the competitive advantage to invest in real estate and have uh, extreme knowledge in what we're doing there. It'd be like a financial advisor not investing in the stock market. It kind of doesn't make sense, right? Uh, a long flip can also save you some money come tax time. So if I buy that, rent it, refinance it to pay off my private money lender, and then I, when that tenant moves out, then I sell it then. Uh, at that point, I'm paying capital gains instead of ordinary income, which actually benefits people in higher tax brackets, right? So talk to your CPA and decide what the best route for you is. If I renovate a property and put the same amount of cash in my pocket, but then I keep a rental property on the back end, would you still call it a flip? I kind of do it. I look at it the same way. Actually, I look at it a little bit better than just doing a traditional flip. Okay, so quick tip. This strategy can save, take a deal from make not making sense to making a perfect sense, right? So um, I have a property in uh, a little town called McDonald, which is out in the country, out in uh, Pittsburgh, in the, the rural areas, as I said, I like to invest in. It's a good school district. But the property is just ugly, right? But I know I can rent that thing for 1000 1200 bucks a month pretty easily. Uh, and my, my purchase was low. My renovation budget was low because I kept it as a flip. And I was able to put cash in my pocket. So it would not have made sense as a flip, but it made perfect sense as a cash out refinance rental. Uh, by knowing there's a rental, I'm able to cut the rehab budget down. Instead of doing a $50,000 renovation, I was able to do a $25,000 renovation. Uh, and it really makes my payment lower on the back end and, and makes the property cash. And then again, this property didn't have the look that I wanted it to. That particular property that again, I break down fully in the class that I have. It's a three and a half hour class. I didn't look like a flip, right? No matter what I would have done to it, it would not have looked like a flip. Uh, or what I see as a flip, right? It would not have had a great curb appeal. There's really nothing that you could have done to that property. Okay, so let's get into funding. Uh, funding can make or break deals. Having the right connections and lenders makes makes all the difference. Um, and then knowing the difference between the types of lending is critical. So OPM, we talked about it. 
uh, other people's money. It's uh, it's rare to come across a flipper that has a couple hundred grand in the bank and they're doing it with cash out of their own pockets, at least not in our area. Uh, you might be finding that in other markets, but not in Pittsburgh. Uh, even if they do have the cash, they might still want to use other people's money and sit on their cash. Most investors look at OPM as a cost of doing business. And in the world of flipping, typically people are using hard money or private money uh, to get you know the deals financed. Okay, we're going to go through this quick because I'm pretty much already running low on time. Um, introduction to hard money. Hard money sounds painful, and it can be. Uh, it's a tool that allows your client to purchase and rehab properties with little money out of their own pocket. Uh, these are private lenders that lend money to real estate investors for a profit. If you don't pay them, they're going to take the property back with a deed in lieu of foreclosure. Typical fees are anywhere from 12 to 15% plus one to three points annually. Points are another percent to just a, like a finance charge on the deal. Would you pay 15% interest? Most people think 15% interest is insane and won't even think about it, right? If you remember the flip examples, which you guys didn't get to see, uh, the HM is hard money payments. Most investors think of this as a cost of doing business. If I'm making 10 to 50 grand of profit, do I really care if I paid 15%? That's what you have to, you have to look at that as a cost of doing business. How does it work? Okay, so uh, for all my Soprano fans out there, you go to Tony. Tony lends you money at 15% interest and two to four points for one year. You pay Tony monthly interest payments until you pay him off in full. You either sell the property or refinance it within 12 months and you pay Tony back so that he doesn't uh, take the property or in Tony's scenario, if you're dealing with the Sopranos, maybe break your kneecaps. Okay, how to figure out your payment. Let's say it's a $100,000 deal at 15%. That's 15000 divided by 12 months. That's $1,250 a month payments. So you're going to pay that every single month until the project is, is completed and you pay your lender off. Hard money lenders want to have a prepayment penalty, and it is legal. It's the, they're lending to commercial organizations, so they don't have to deal with the Consumer Protection Act. Uh, they don't have to worry about the Dodd-Frank or anything like that. Uh, typically, they want to make interest for at least six months. So if you pay them off early, you're going to owe them the amount of months left. So I, you know, for example, if you're going to uh, pay off the loan in four months, you're going to pay them two more months of interest at closing. A few more notes about hard money. Buyer still typically pays closing costs. Buyer still puts down the hand money. The lender can provide proof of funds. The lender holds the rehab money and draws it back as work is done. This is the typical model. Now, you might see it different with other lenders, or if you're dealing with private individuals, they may just cut you a check for the whole deal. Now that you know this, would you pay 15% uh, interest now? Uh, a flipper who's making 20 to 30 grand uh, per flip and does 10 flips a year, you can understand why they're okay paying 15%. A buy and hold investor who wants to grow faster. Uh, but can't afford to put 20 to 25% down, might use this to buy rehab properties and refinance it. 15% uh, seems high, but to somebody who wants to grow faster, it might be a bargain. Other types of creative financing, lease options. So you can do a lease with an option agreement attached to it that allows you to purchase the property within a set amount of years uh, for a certain price, and you put money down as the option. Subject to, so you're actually financing that property subject to the existing mortgage. You just got to be careful because sometimes if you do that, if you end up recording that, uh, the lender could call the note due. 
seller financing. So this is traditional seller financing. They are, you know, let's say they own the property outright. They're going to turn around and become the bank then in that scenario. Think about those solutions. It'll help you keeping deals from falling apart. Uh, private money is someone that's not a professional lender who has money in the bank, and that's another option too. Using an LLC. Uh, so I'm not an attorney or a CPA, but what I'm about to discuss is how I have my investing set up, right? I use LLCs to protect my personal assets from my business assets, and I do this to keep my flips in a different entity from my uh, rentals typically. That's how I like to set it up. It's how I'm advised to set it up. You should not provide advice to your clients. You should refer them to trusted advisors uh, that you trust and give them business. And then those trusted advisors in return give you business too. So it goes both ways, but you're not a CPA. You're not an attorney. Don't provide any advice. Okay, tax benefits. There he is, the Donald. You love him or hate him. He's our president, right? The rumor is our president has not paid his taxes, the majority of his taxes in the last 15 years. Uh, something very hard to calculate is how much of an impact real estate investing has on an investor's taxes, right? So uh, there's tons of calculators out there to calculate your return on investment, but none of them use what I think is one of the most important things, and that's the tax benefits. So if you're saving, you know, 20 grand a year uh, in taxes, uh, you know, that's going to be factored into your profit somehow, but it's just a very hard calculation to try and figure out. So Okay, uh, rehab budgets. We're going to skip pretty much through this, but if anybody wants a copy of the rehab budget that I like to use, um, I actually got it originally from one of my lenders. It's a very detailed rehab budget, and it goes through just about every type of, it's an Excel spreadsheet. It goes through every single type of category you can, you can imagine and how the draws are going to work and how much you've used towards your draws. It's a very cool tool. And if anybody likes that and wants to uh, get a copy of this, just email me, ian at ianhoover.com. I'd be happy to send you a copy of this rehab budget. Okay, so that is the end of the slideshow. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, I hope we can follow along. If you're listening, then just know that this is on YouTube. You can, if you want to actually see the visuals that go along through it, feel free to hop onto my, my channel, Ian S. Hoover on YouTube to take a look. Um, and I can always send you the, the slideshow as well if you, if you want to keep it for your, your own records. I'm happy to share this. This is content that I created. So um, again, I hope this is great content for you. I know we are all locked away right now in, in our homes, uh, trying to be safe and do the right things. Um, and I'm sure that in the matter of no time, we're going to be back at it. So, and this might actually end up being a blessing in disguise, right? If you use our time that we've been given now because of the virus that's being uh, passed around and we're all locked in our house, if you use this time effectively, you should be able to come out of the gate swinging as soon as we can, right? Uh, you can call your clients. You can set up appointments uh, and just keep rescheduling them if you need to, right? So right now it's like May 1st, we're going to be back at it. Well, maybe it gets delayed another two weeks. Okay, reschedule for the week of May 15th. And just keep telling your clients, say, hey, I want to meet with you. Uh, let's set up for as early as we can. And if we need to reschedule, we'll reschedule. Get your CRMs rolling. Get your, uh, your postcards rolling. Uh, get anything you can going 
so that you can come out better than what you went in. Think about all the things that you want to implement all the time. And you're always like, oh man, I don't have enough time. Well, this is your time. The government has given us time to be in our home offices and bang out whatever uh, tasks we have that we've been sitting there and looking at probably for years and just never got to. If you want to test something out, if you want to sit on software demos, if you want to hop into a, an online webinar or online training courses, this is your time to better yourself. So stop looking at this as a negative thing. This is going to be a positive thing for you. You may not be able to make as much money as you're used to during this period of time. And the government's going to try and step up and compensate us for this time. However, what you can do is make it so that at the end of this time, you come out of it a better agent than when you went into it. So that is my advice right now. Stay positive, stay motivated, make sure you're keeping a schedule, make sure you're working at least a couple hours a day, focusing on what you need to focus on, learn and develop systems and do all the things that you normally don't have time to. And for me, I'm going to be focusing on trying to get you guys some more content. I'm very sorry that I've been spotty with my release of content on the Realtor Nation podcast. I'm also going to be starting to add some business videos into uh, my ENS Uber channel on YouTube. So please subscribe. I'm trying to build up that channel and get some more followers. Um, and definitely subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. And if you have any questions or want to hit me up, ENS Uber on pretty much any social media platform out there, I'd be happy to talk to you. Or you can email me, ian at ianhoover.com. But this is the Realtor Nation podcast, episode 20. I hope it was great content for you. Uh, please subscribe to all of our podcasts on the Deacon Hoover Real, uh, Real Estate Network, right? Uh, we have a couple of different podcasts that we do. Um, and then some of our agents are starting to do podcasts now. So look up Tony and Gotti. Uh, obviously, my partner Alex does some podcasting. So check those out. Subscribe to those. Support us in any way we can. We really appreciate uh, you spending your time with us. And I'm going to get some more content out. That's, uh, that's my promise to you guys. So uh, this is Ian Hoover signing off.